this is Father John Arthur or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 20th installment on Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. The 133 talks given by Pope John Paul II in the early years of his papacy were indebted to Professor Michael Waldstein for his translation of the text. Knowledge and Procreation, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Between poverty of expression and depth of meaning, to the whole of our analysis devoted to the biblical beginning, we wish to add a further brief passage taken from Genesis chapter 4. For this purpose, however, we must always go back to the words spoken by Jesus Christ. In the dialogue with the Pharisees, see Matthew chapter 19 and Mark chapter 10. Within the sphere of which our reflections are unfolding, they concern the context of human existence, according to which the death and the destruction of the body connected with it, according to those words, to dust you shall return, Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, have become man's common lot. Christ appeals to the beginning, to the original dimension of the mystery of creation, when this dimension had already been shattered by the Mysterium iniquitatis, the mystery of iniquity, that is, by sin, and together with sin also by death, Mysterium mortis, mystery of death. Sin and death have entered into man's history in some way through the very heart of that unity that had from the beginning been formed by man and woman, created and called to become one flesh. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Already at the beginning of our meditations, we observed that by appealing to the beginning, Christ leads us in some way beyond the limits of man's hereditary sinfulness to his original innocence. He thus allows us to find the continuity and the link that exists between these two situations, the situations by which the drama of the origins was produced, as well as the revelation of the mystery of man to historical man. This authorizes us, so to speak, after the analyses concerning the state of original innocence, to move on to the last of these analyses, namely, to the analysis of knowledge and generation. Thematically, knowledge is closely tied to the blessing of fruitfulness inserted in the first account of the creation of man as male and female. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 28. Historically, by contrast, it is already inserted into the horizon of sin and death, which, as Genesis chapter 3 teaches, has weighed heavily on the consciousness of the meaning of the human body as soon as the first covenant with the Creator was broken. In Genesis chapter 4, and thus still within the boundaries of the Yahweh's text, we read, Adam united himself with Eve, his wife, who conceived and gave birth to Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she gave birth also to his brother, Abel. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. 
If we connect that first fact of the birth of a man on earth with knowledge, we do so on the basis of the literal translation of the text, according to which conjugal union is defined precisely as knowledge. In fact, the translation just quoted says Adam united himself with Eve, his wife, while according to the letter, one should translate knew his wife, which seems to correspond more exactly to the Semitic term yada. One can see in this a sign of the poverty of the ancient language, which lacked varied expressions for defining differentiated facts. Nevertheless, it remains significant that the situation in which husband and wife unite so intimately among themselves as to form one flesh was defined as knowledge. In this way, in fact, from the very poverty of the language, there seems to arise a specific depth of meaning that derives from all the meanings analyzed up to this point. Evidently, this depth is also important with respect to the archetype of the way we conceive bodily man, his masculinity and his femininity, and thus his sex. Thus, the term knowledge used in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and often in the Bible, raises the conjugal relation of man and woman, that is, the fact that through the duality of sex, they become one flesh, and brings it into the specific dimension of the persons. Genesis chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 speaks only about knowledge of the woman by the man, as if to underline above all the man's activity. One can, however, also speak of the reciprocity of this knowledge in which man and woman participate through their body and their sex. Let us add that a series of subsequent biblical texts, examples given, the very same chapter of Genesis, see Genesis chapter 4, verses 17 and 25, speak with the same language. And this way of speaking goes all the way up to the word spoken by Mary of Nazareth in the Annunciation. How is this possible? I do not know man. Luke chapter 1, verse 34 knowledge as personal archetype. Thus, with that biblical new, which appears for the first time in Genesis chapter 4 verses 1 and 2, we find ourselves face to face with, on the one hand, the direct expression of human intentionality, because it is proper to knowledge, and, on the other hand, the whole reality of conjugal life and conjugal union, in which man and woman become one flesh. When it speaks of knowledge here, even if only because of the poverty of its language, the Bible indicates the deepest essence of the reality of shared married life. This essence appears as a component and at the same time as a result of the meanings, the traces of which we have been trying to follow from the beginning of our study. It is, in fact, part of the consciousness of the meaning of one's body. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, when they become one flesh, the man and the woman experience the meaning of their bodies in a particular way. Together, they thus become one single subject, as it were, of that act and that experience. 
although they remain two really distinct subjects in this unity. This authorizes us in some sense to affirm that the husband knows the wife or that both know each other reciprocally. Thus, they reveal themselves to one another with that specific depth of their own human eye, which precisely reveals itself also through their sex, their masculinity and femininity. And thus, in a singular way, the woman is given in the mode of knowledge to the man, and he to her. If we are to keep continuity with the analyses carried out so far, especially with the final ones, interpreting man in the dimension of gift, we must observe that, according to Genesis, datum, that which is given, and donum, gift, are equivalent. Nevertheless, Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, stresses above all datum. In conjugal knowledge, the woman is given to the man, and he to her, because the body and its sex enter directly into the very structure and content of this knowledge. Thus, the reality of conjugal union in which man and woman become one flesh contains in itself a new and, in some way, definitive discovery of the meaning of the human body in its masculinity and femininity. Yet, in view of this discovery, is it right to speak only of sexual life together? One must keep in mind that each of them, the man and the woman, is not only a passive object defined by his own body and his own sex, and in this way determined by nature. On the contrary, precisely through being man and woman, each of them is given to the other as a unique and unrepeatable subject, as I, as person. His sex is not only decisive for man's somatic individuality, but at the same time it defines his personal identity and concreteness. And exactly in this personal identity and concreteness as an unrepeatable feminine or masculine eye, man is known. When the words of Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 come true, the man will unite with his wife and the two will be one flesh. The knowledge about which Genesis chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 and all subsequent biblical texts speak reaches the innermost roots of this identity and concreteness which man and woman owe to their sex. Such concreteness means both the uniqueness and unrepeatability of the person. It was thus worthwhile to reflect about the eloquence of the biblical text quoted and of the word new, despite the apparent lack of terminological precision. It allows us to dwell on the depth and the dimensions of a concept of which our contemporary language, precise though it is, deprives us. And with these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, ends, concludes his 20th catechesis on man and woman. He created them a theology of the body. And for our context, this is part one of the theology of the body, man and woman, he created them. 
the words of Christ. Chapter 1, Christ appeals to the beginning. Not just in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word became flesh. But in the beginning of creation, when God made all that is seen and unseen, this is number 6 of chapter 1 of part 1, the first two parts of 6. Knowledge and procreation, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Between poverty of expression and depth of meaning, poverty of expression, sometimes our words fail us. That's what the Pope means there. And also, knowledge as personal archetype. So this reminds us that the Pope is doing a theological anthropology, a Christian anthropology, which focuses on the person, human persons in our case, or the divine persons, in the case of God, in whose image we're made. Knowledge as a personal archetype. God knows everything. The omniscience of God. We who are made in God's image, we know some things. We can know some things. And God can reveal to us things which are beyond our natural capacity, our natural understanding. So what did Pope John Paul say to us today in this 20th Catechesis of the Theology of the Body? Man and woman, he created them. He speaks to us of a depth of meaning. There's surface understanding and there's a deeper understanding. We can say there are so many cities in the state of Tennessee. We can say there are so many citizens in the city of Knoxville. And that's true, and that's knowledge. But it doesn't help us understand the difference in the culture between Middle Tennessee, West Tennessee, and East Tennessee, for example. It doesn't give us the history of the region or of those various citizens. It's just a quantification. There's a certain depth. It's just not as deep as it could be. The depth of meaning. There are those who have denied that anything has any meaning. However, they disregard the law of non-contradiction when they do so, because if they mean what they say, there is no meaning. How can they mean what they say? You see, that's the law of non-contradiction, the principle of non-contradiction. So God help, God bless them, and I mean it when I say that. The Pope is calling us to a deeper understanding, a deeper appreciation of reality, of the human reality, made by God, for God, in the image of God. Pope John Paul II has been analyzing the beginning chapters of sacred scripture, the book of Genesis, and he's analyzing the texts in themselves and in the light of faith, and in the light of reason, he's looking at our existence, the way we are in the world, our being, our being male and female, our being bodily creatures, beings. Pope John Paul II is turning our attention, our gaze, to the beginning because that's where Christ referred our gaze. He wanted us to look back so we know where we're going and where we've come from. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God saw that it was good. In the beginning, they were naked without shame. The communion of persons, divine persons and human persons, all from the beginning. It is sin which divides. It is sin which introduces shame into the picture. Pope John Paul II, in this 20th installment of The Theology of the Body, Man and Woman, He Created Them, speaks to us of various mysteries. He speaks to us of the mystery of creation. He speaks to us of the mystery of iniquity. 
the mystery of sin. He speaks to us of the mystery of death. Mysterium iniquitatis, mysterium mortis. If we were materialists, if we thought the human being was just so much matter, there would be very little mystery involved in questions of life and death. When someone dies, when the body and soul are separated, we're confronted with death, it's a reality. In the eyes of faith, those who believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus know that Good Friday is not the end of the story. The death of the Lord on the cross does not complete the Gospels. It is Easter Sunday which gives us our hope. Our faith is not in vain because Christ has risen from the dead, and we long to be raised with him on the last day, even as we pray for his mercy for our beloved dead. Mysterium mortis, mysterium iniquitatis, the mystery of iniquity, of sin. This mystery made present or entering the scene not only with original sin, which we inherit, but even our particular sins, the sins I actually commit, my abuse of my free will, your abuse of your free will, our preferring creation to the Creator, our preferring our will to God's will, rather than our submission, our taming our will to the holy will, the eternal will of God, manifest in the Decalogue in the Ten Commandments God gave on Sinai's height to Moses. But these precepts of the natural law are knowable through the natural light of reason. Even the virtuous pagan Aristotle had an appreciation of what good should be done and what evil should be avoided. if you look at the Nicomachean Ethics. Anyhow, Pope John Paul II in this 20th Catechesis on Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, speaks to us yet again about original innocence before the fall, even though we now live after the fall, even though now we only have a restored innocence by the death and resurrection of Christ applied to us in the sacraments. Pope John Paul II in this catechesis speaks to us not only of the mystery of man as treated in divine revelation. Christ reveals not only God to us, but us to ourselves. So there's a revelation of the mystery of man. But he speaks to us also of historical man, and that is us. I am not the first human being, and neither are you. So this was, in a certain sense, the revelation of man. The first man came into being and was revealed. And there is, in sacred scripture, in divine revelation, the story of the creation. But now we live post-factum, after the fact. We live in history. That is primordial history. Pope John Paul II in this 20th Catechesis speaks to us about a connection between knowledge and fruitfulness. If you remember some years ago there was an American television program called Seinfeld and when the characters in the program just wanted to say someone was talking, 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 they used this particular expression, yada, yada, yada. In this 20th Catechesis, Pope John Paul II speaks to us about that very specific Hebrew word, the word yada. Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived. To know in the biblical sense is 
to engage in the conjugal act, to make love in modo humano, in a human manner, to know is leading towards fruitfulness. We know that God is the Lord and the giver of life. We know that God has said, be fruitful and multiply, and that is the greatest gift God gives in holy marriage. One man and one woman, the mother and the father, the husband and the wife, they give the matter, the body, and God gives the soul, the life breath, that which allows that first cell to grow into a full-blown human being with eyes and ears, a toe and a nose. Knowledge leads to fruitfulness. And this is true not only in the material, corporeal sense, but even in the spiritual sense. When we know the truth which sets us free, then we're able to bear fruit which lasts unto eternity. These are things which Pope John Paul is bringing to our attention, to our consciousness. These things have meaning. The conjugal union to make love is not a recreational sport. It has meaning in the divine plan, in the divine economy. That's the trouble with that sitcom, because the promiscuity of the characters was as if making love was a recreational sport. Pope John Paul II is reminding us that in the beginning, in the origins, in the intention of God, the nuptial embrace is part of God's good plan for his good creation. Husband and wife unite. This man, this woman, not Adam and Steve, but Adam and Eve. The depth of meaning here is very rich. In our day and age, so many make a mockery of holy marriage by wholesale no-fault divorce and remarriage, or mere cohabitation, or the so-called sodomistic union. Not so-called, it is an actual fact. Pope John Paul II has been analyzing all these different meanings, meanings of words. This reminds us of his philological background, how he had been a student of words when he began his studies at the Jenglin University in Poland. In this 20th Catechesis, Pope John Paul II speaks to us about different types of knowledge, not just the nuptial embrace. Adam knew his wife and she conceived, but he speaks to us of intellectual knowledge, things we know with our minds, our intelligence. He speaks to us of knowledge which is ours through experience, knowledge of suffering, knowledge of sin, knowledge of war, knowledge of peace. And even how this use of knowledge in the sense of the conjugal union to make love, sexual activity, is even used in relation with other sexual activities, even illicit ones, those which are against nature. So again, a further depth of meaning. From these various types of knowledge, Pope John Paul II continues to speak to us about relations, interpersonal relations, that is, between persons. Relation is a category of being, according to Aristotle, and there are accidental relations or inconsequential ones. The book is on the desk, the book is on the shelf. These are spatial relations. You're sitting at the table, you're standing at a table. These are accidental. You are your father's son. You are your mother's daughter. You are the sibling to your brother. These are interpersonal relations. They may not have been eternal, but they can never be undone. You can act like you're not related to someone, 
You can act like you're not a member of the human race. You can act like you're not made in the image and likeness of God, but it doesn't change the fact there is an eternal relationship amongst the divine persons of the Holy Trinity. And once we have been brought into existence, the moment of conception, once we've been born, there is a relationship with other persons, our parents, siblings, society, but even with Almighty God. It's not just interpersonal relations which Pope John Paul II addresses in this 20th Catechesis of the Theology of the Body, Man and Woman, He Created Them. He also speaks, and speaks extensively throughout the work, about conjugal relations, conjungus, with a yoke. This is a word which means to make love. This is part of the good of marriage, a two-part good. Conjugal relations for a husband and wife to make love is both generative and unitive. Generative, insofar as so often, God gives the grace of new life. A child is conceived, born. The unitive part, this helps keep the couple together to raise those children to be good and strong, straight and tall, to help them develop all their potentialities. This is part of the unitive nature of the conjugal act to make love. These things were addressed by Pope Paul VI in his encyclical Humani Vitae on the Transmission of Human Life, 1968. John Paul II said to have been an advisor or counselor to Paul VI then. Not only does the Holy Father address interpersonal relations and conjugal relations, which are a part of interpersonal relations, not all interpersonal relations are conjugal, but between husband and wife, there's the conjugal relation. And then the Holy Father also speaks about existential relations with God himself. And I addressed that earlier. God is an eternal relationship, eternal father of an eternal son. Their love so real for each other said to be the Holy Spirit, the relation between the father and the son. And there's an existential relationship with God himself who has given us existence. Existence as persons, persons made for communion, persons who have received the gift of existence, the gift of life, the gift of redemption and the death and resurrection of Christ, the gift of faith, the gift of grace, now called to give the gift of self, one to the other, the husband to the wife, the wife to the husband, all in the sight of God who's made us for himself. The Holy Father also refers to different passages of sacred scripture in this 20th Catechesis of the Theology of the Body, Man and Woman, He Created Them. Psalm 139, Hosea chapter 2, verse 22, Jeremiah 31, verse 34, and two passages from St. John, chapter 14, verses 7 through 9, and chapter 17, verse 3. All of these passages of sacred scripture refer to an existential relationship with God himself. And this is a relationship which is never ruptured on God's part, God's behalf. God is faithful. The relationship is only ruptured by our sin. The relationship can only be restored by the grace of God, by the death and resurrection of Jesus applied to us in Mother Church. In our next program, we will continue with this sixth part of chapter one of part one 
of the theology of the body, fatherhood and motherhood as the human meaning of knowledge, and knowledge and possession. These are the concluding passages of part one, followed by knowledge stronger than death. Part two begins soon enough about Christ's appeal to the human part. So we see the structure of this theology of the body. Christ appeals to the beginning, that's Christ looking back, and then Christ appeals to the human heart, not only those of his hearers then and there, but those of us who hear him now, who hear him speak heart to heart. When we read the sacred scriptures or have them proclaimed to us, when we get down on our knees and fold our hands and bow our heads and say, Lord, hear my prayer. For he speaks to us words of encouragement, words we long to hear, good and faithful servant, come share your master's joy. And we will hear those words if we're faithful to his call to holiness. Until next time, God bless you.